Hello and welcome to this week's version of the Coaches View podcast, a podcast hosted by professional football coaches for those of you who love to look at the game in minute detail. My name is Harry Brooks, I'm one of your hosts and I'm joined as always by the lovely Richard Webster. Hello mate. Hi mate, you okay? Not too bad. I have to send an apology first. Basically the internet has completely gone in my entire area and BT have promised they're going to fix it in the 19th, which is five days away, which is doesn't really do me any favours. So I'm having to do it on my phone in the kitchen. So if at any point anybody hears a dog barking or my mum coming and asking me for a cup of tea, then uh, I can only apologise. Um, we're going to try and crack on as normal. Um, you been okay? Yeah, not bad, mate. Not bad. That sounds like a very that's a that's a very modern problem, isn't it? I mean, uh, back in the well, day, it's a bit mate, of a nuisance this, this... when it's a bit of a nuisance <laughs> at the best of times. Let alone when you're in lockdown and kind of need the internet to work from home. So. Yeah, this is when you start to realise just exactly how much you rely on things like Wi-Fi and your phone, uh, especially in these times. But yeah, mate, I've been good, enjoying the football as always. Uh, yourself? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Obviously, you're going to have to learn how to like, you know, live like an old caveman nowadays uh, with the lack of internet. But, um, you know, other than that, I'm not too bad, not too bad. Um, in today's podcast, we are going to be talking about, well, probably a subject that is as close to close to home for me and you as it could possibly get. And that is youth players, youth pathways. It's, it's a very prevalent topic right now. Um, you know, especially when we've seen, obviously, the, the situation happened with Aston Villa last week where they had to field an entire under-18 yeah. team, um, yeah. a few under-23s um, versus Liverpool. Uh, we saw Alfie Devine um, come on and score in his debut for Spurs as a 16-year-old. And obviously Brexit is going to affect um, players getting a chance in the first team, which we're all going to come on to. Um, but that's what we're going to be discussing today, Richard. It's going to be discussing, obviously, young players and their pathway into the first team in the UK specifically. Um, obviously, yeah. we work with we work with young players all the time at academies and professional clubs and also, of course, players that aren't yet in clubs. Um, but it's a subject that's obviously very prevalent to me and you, mate. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's an exciting subject as well. So you touched on a couple of big ones there. So obviously everyone's attention was drawn recently to the game, uh, the FA Cup game between Villa and Liverpool. Um, you know, a lot of hoo-ha about uh, the, the teams that were going to be put out. And obviously Liverpool went very, very strong. And uh, Aston Villa basically put out the under-23s with um, quite a few under-18s in there as well. But, you know, that, that gained a lot of coverage and they, they did themselves really, really proud. Um, but that that's obviously the standout game. But there's actually been quite a lot of uh, of, of really promising young players uh, have a chance this season for one reason or another, uh, or another, which we'll discuss. I think COVID's played a part, definitely. Um, yeah. If we look at Liverpool and their injury crisis, um, that's also played a part in in certain players maybe getting more game time than they would have. Um, so yeah, I think it's a really good subject, really interesting. I think um, this season there's there's going to be quite a few breakthrough players. Um, and then the Brexit thing—if we throw that on top—that that that should make um, should make things more interesting going forward. I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, uh, and I know it's been dragging on for ages. But one of the side effects of it will be um, there's a possibility that it'll, it'll make clubs uh, have to rely a little bit more on their youth um, and have to overhaul their youth policy rather than buying in from abroad, which might be become a little bit more troublesome or a little bit more tricky. They might now have to rely on their academies a little bit more than they did previously, which is a good thing for uh, young British players. Certainly. We're certainly going to get on to that. I think there's a lot going on in the world right now um, that perhaps people don't quite understand in terms of how it will affect 
young players and them getting an opportunity. So we are going to do our best to um, give our inside knowledge, for whatever better phrase, um, to help you understand help you understand that more. But you know, let's talk firstly about the players who have got recent opportunities. So I guess the best place to start will be the uh, the situation we saw last week with Aston Villa um, versus Liverpool, and obviously it's a complete freak situation. I mean, what happened there? Um, and the the crazy thing for me as well is, you know, uh, it was just a few weeks prior where I was analysing one of the players' games that we work with and they were pretty much, it was an under-18s game and they were pretty much playing against the entire Aston Villa side that then put themselves up against Liverpool first team in the FA Cup and the likes of Mo Salah and Sadio Mane. You know, it was it was quite weird to see. Um, obviously, it's a situation that hasn't really happened before except from last season, actually, when... In, a, in the same kind of game, Liverpool versus Aston Villa, but the other way around where Liverpool, I think they had to play in the Club World Cup, was it? So they had to basically yeah. leave their 23s at home and play in that game. And obviously Aston Villa's first team put them to the sword and and this year as, um, Liverpool got their revenge. But you know what? I don't really watch football as a fan anymore um, because, you know, working in the game, you kind of have to be a neutral. But I will be honest, when Louis Barry went through on goal, um, I did get out my seat and I did scream the house down when he scored. I was so, so happy for the lad and those players yeah. because it's when you're in football and you work in professional football, you have to be very cold-blooded. Um, but every now and again, well, not every now and again, but emotion, you know, you can't help your emotion as well. And those boys, we have to be completely real. A lot of them won't ever touch a Premier League pitch. A lot of them maybe won't even have professional careers. So for them to play at Aston Villa, at the home ground, in an FA Cup game against players they idolise. It's a big, big moment and a moment that will live them forever, isn't it? So it's fantastic. Oh, it's massive, players. It's, it's a fantastic opportunity for the players. And there will be players that go on and have fantastic careers from that side. Of course they will. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. But that is a moment that those players will never, ever forget. Um, and it's, on the one hand, you've got to say, you know, brilliant, live with you forever. But on the other hand, you've also got to say, right, you know, you've had a taste of it now, but let's be real. You've got to make sure you knuckle down and work hard to get opportunities in the future i think there's two sides to it mate i mean i'm a massive fan of the fa cup for a start um and i believe them i do believe in the magic of the fa cup i'm a big romantic about it in that way so i think in in a moment we'll probably talk a little bit about tottenham's game at marine which is another good example of um of the fa cup throwing up some you know magic and romance but that game in particular yeah there's two things to that so you're dead right um it's an under 18 slash under 23s against basically the best team in England over the last, you know, two and a half seasons, who went strong. <laughs> all credit, yeah. well, put it, you could spin it either way, but I, I like to think all credit to Klopp. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. He, he went strong. He, he, he could have gone weaker, but he started with um, Mane and Salah up front. Uh, Minamino started as well. Wijnaldum, Henderson and Jones in midfield, which is not shabby. Um, James Milner started, Fabinho started. You know, this is a really, really strong side. And Villa, Villa didn't just sit there and, and, and you know, um, uh, enjoy the day and then take their spanking. They actually played, uh, they played their part in a really enjoyable game. Of course, Liverpool, the better team on the day one, uh, and they saw them off. But for a large part of that game, I was like, you, I was like, could they do this? Is it possible we could be no, seeing something? No, surely not. Did that really come into your head? It can't have done. Well, no, but it, but but the longer it goes on, you know, they got blown away with like three goals in five minutes. But 
the longer it sort of goes on, you do start to think like, well, this would be just amazing, wouldn't it? And you, you know, you never say never in football, mate. This is the thing. At the end of the no, day, I, when, I, when... I said, I said never there. I, I did say never. <laughs> well, it's eleven v eleven, and and they did remarkably. But the, the, I agree. The reason, yeah, go on. I agree with your point. A lot of these guys, uh, you know, they're not in the first team squad. This is something you need to aim for. So this is a taste of it. And they didn't have a day out and think, oh, this is great. Get to play against Salah and then see you later. They should now use this to kick on and and, um, use this as inspiration and say, well, that's the level I want to live at day in and day out. Not just the level I, by some, you know, quirk of, fate happened to be on the pitch one time um is this is this the level that i belong belong at consistently through my career the reason why i said never um is because it's not necessarily that liverpool have far better footballers in terms of players it's purely because like you know a lot of people they pie over wanting young players to get opportunities but they've got to be physically and mentally ready and most of those players just physically aren't ready to live on a men's first team pitch yet they're not ready to do that yet and so that's why you saw you know towards the end of the game so many of the boys putting up with cramp because their bodies aren't yet accustomed to play that level of football at that intensity and Mark Lowen actually said a great point in in commentary and it's very very true it's not only just the physical um, fatigue that those boys will have felt it's also the mental aspect would have been a really taxing on their bodies as well because they would have been so pumped up, so energetic. That really does tire your legs out as well. Um, well, it's the level of concentration required as well because they did an awful lot of defending and defending takes discipline. You've got to maintain your shape. You've got to keep your distances. You've got to support each other, constantly making runs to tuck in and, and pull around and, and that type of thing. That is draining and that is draining yeah. physically and that is draining mentally um, yeah. to, to, to constantly uh close gaps but to be fair to them to keep it i know it's 4-1 in the oh, end, it was but phenomenal phenomenal i, I, I think that's respectable it. in the circumstances and um yeah I, i'm not sure when when their next game was for a lot of those boys but i hope they had a couple of days off at least yeah no it, it was a phenomenal effort but as i said there was just no way i mean they could have even if they were winning one nil at 75 minutes I still wouldn't have backed them. I still would have said it's going to end three. Oh yeah, you'd have to go because, with Liverpool. Yeah, because their leg, their leg, their legs would they they just they're not ready yet. They're not ready yet. And what it does show, it does show how people don't understand how remarkable players like Jude Bellingham are. You know, sixteen years old, playing yeah. like I think thirty plus starts in the Championship for Birmingham. I mean, physically, it it, 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 it scientifically, physiologically, it doesn't make sense. Your yeah. body shouldn't be able to cope with those demands at that age. You shouldn't be able to cope with that mentally and physically. So it shows yeah, how remarkable t- players like Jude Bellingham are, how remarkable Wayne Rooney was, not just as talents, but just as physical players. Your body, because we say it all the time, you know, when we coach high-level players, you can have 16-year-olds that come along and they look very big, very muscular. Um, but then there's me, who's very wiry, very skinny, but I'm a 26-year-old man. And you might think, just looking at the pair of us, oh, well, he's going to he's going to barge me over all day long. But it's the opposite way around. I will physically dominate that player purely because I have the man strength. Like at 16, you don't yet have that man strength. So yeah. it's, it's, it's incredible that what players like Jude Bellingham um, can, can do, that they are able to do that. And it's a freak of nature. And yet Aston Villa fielded 
pretty much seven or eight of those boys in one game. Well, this so. is this is a thing that the, the players you mentioned there, so Bellingham and Rooney, good examples. Um, these are outliers. So uh, it, it's not it's not that they can't compete. So a player like let's say Louis Barry, for example, Louis Barry got the breakaway goal, and obviously he's a name that. His his name, so he's a player whose name has been ringing out for a, a few seasons. People might remember he, he spent, I think it was last season, at Barcelona. Um, before that, he was making waves with West Brom, uh, and you know he's he's been a name uh, that's been doing the rounds in in youth uh, youth football as a as a future as a future talent. Now, obviously, he can compete on a men's game, but what we're talking about is is not just a one off match. It's it's when they transition into consistently playing men's football at the top level it's the training in between and then it's uh the games coming thick and fast so of course some of those players can compete over 90 minutes and they can physically do it but it's can you do it again on wednesday and again next saturday and then again on tuesday and then again on sunday yeah um yeah this this is the difference and and you tend to see what happens is a player gets dipped into the first team and then um they might take uh, a loan, a loan move elsewhere, uh, which might be down a level. Typically, that might be what happens. Or, um, you know, they, they burst onto the scene with four or five games towards the end of the season, and then they're not heard of again for a little while. And a lot, a lot of times, fans are like, oh, why haven't we? Why isn't he getting his chance? And that's part of the reason is because they're not, they haven't matured physically. Yeah. So we can think of lots of examples of that. Last season, um, I'm not sure of his injury situation, but Billy Gilmore was playing. You know, a, a fair a fair number of minutes for Chelsea. Less so this season. Um, that that's you know part of that is 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 the same thing. Um, he's able to play those games, but he still needs to mature physically. Um, he still needs to get up to speeds. You know, with with the guys who are two and three years older than him. There's a big difference between eighteen and twenty one, for example. Um, in order to be able to do that, and and then you know that the final transition is: Are you a guy who can play? 40 to potentially 60 um, games at that level per season. That's a lot to ask for a teenager. Yeah. And players mature physically at different ages as well, don't they? It's that, you know, you can have a player that's absolutely storming in the 18s or the 23s. And again, fans who maybe don't have better knowledge, um, not to say that in an insulting way, but how could they? But, you know, they can sort of say, oh, get him in the team, get him in the team, give him a chance. But, that player might not be physically ready yet and yet yeah. another player could be, you know. So players mature at different ages, mentally and physically. And this is where you kind of got to trust the club. They know what they're doing. I mean, it does make me laugh when um, I hear that, you know, people criticise managers saying that they don't bring young players through. And it's like, well, no, managers want to win football games. Like if yeah. they think that they win a football game by having a 17-year-old on the pitch, then they'll do that. But they are experts in their fields. They're not just keeping a 17-year-old out because they don't like young people. They're doing it because there's a lot of research and thought gone into. So many different things. Are they physically ready? Are they mentally ready? Are they tactically ready? So many different things. And, you know... Even though, I mean, you know, just there's there's even been great examples of older players. So it always gets leveled at uh, at Chelsea and uh, Mourinho. Oh, you know, Lukaku slip through the net. Um, uh, De Bruyne slip through the net. Who's the other one they always use against him? Uh, Salah, um, isn't it? Yeah, they use Salah against him a lot. Yeah, Salah, Chelsea. But, you know, the reply to that is, is like, well, they weren't ready. Now, you can be, uh, and that's, you know, they weren't ready for different reasons. 
So at that time, he needed people to come onto the pitch and make the difference there and then today. You know, it, it's it's different to be a young player breaking through at Brighton and to be a young player breaking through at Chelsea because the remit of the first team, what has to happen on Saturday is different for both clubs, different for both teams. Um, so uh, the version, the not ready means different things at different clubs. Yeah. So that has to be taken into account as well. And I agree with your point. Um, managers are in the, in the business of winning games or, or putting their best um, team on the field. And if they think that's one of the younger players, that's what they'll do. If they don't think the player's ready, then you know normally they, they go for a loan. Of course, there's, there's players that get missed or players who perhaps develop better elsewhere. And then there's clubs actually that that have maybe a bit more of a tradition of pushing young players in. So Manchester United, in my opinion, are one of the best at it. Um, they don't just give young players a chance. They actually allow young players to uh, flourish and become um, major players at the club. And that's something they identify with themselves. It's not just, it's not just you know, he'll get, he'll get um, 10 appearances that will boost his price and we'll sell him because he's not, not good enough to get in the team. It's, it's part of their makeup that they want academy products to play lots of games for the club. Um, yeah. And I think that's brilliant. And I, I think you're, you're seeing the rewards of that. They, they get the rewards of that season after season after season. Yeah. Um, and, and each club is different the way that they look at it. But there, are, there have been some, some fantastic young players getting minutes this season, which I think we wanted to talk about a little bit as well, Harry. Yeah, well, obviously, I guess once to talk about, we do have a lot of Spurs listeners, um, <laughs> is the young man, Alfie Devine. He became Spurs' youngest ever player. And yep. then youngest ever goal scorer. We, we've actually chatted to him quite a few times over the summer. Um, he's a really nice young man. We would have trained him by now, I'm sure. But thanks, coronavirus. Um, brilliant. Really appreciate that. You've delayed that. So much appreciated. But um, no, he's, he's a fantastic young man. Um, really good talent. And uh, he is someone that does belong on a first-team pitch in terms of getting the opportunities. Because we have seen him play a lot of football. and it's very difficult to describe, but you do get certain players that when you watch in youth games, they just look better than what's around them. And I don't necessarily mean yeah. that just in terms of talent. I just mean that in terms of it is a man on a young men's pitch. You know, even though he wasn't one of the oldest players in the under-18s, he was a 16-year-old, you know, and in the under 23 still one of the younger players. But he looks like a man on a boy's pitch in terms of aura, in terms of, um, you know, of course, quality mindset and physicality um, and his whole demeanour um, is a superb talent um, and whether he gets another opportunity this season I will be surprised because you know he is a young lad and Spurs have a lot of first team players um, but he did take his opportunity um, I thought he'd done lots of fantastic things and to score on your debut is uh, a special thing especially as a 16 year old coming on. I thought it was absolutely brilliant, mate. Um, and, and you've made some I good points. I also cheered here. that one. I shouted the roof down for that one as well. I'll be honest. I didn't. I did not celebrate once. I am a Spurs fan. I did not celebrate one Spurs goal. But then when Alfie Devine scored, I went absolutely ballistic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, his celebration was fantastic as well. When he realised, yeah. like you know, he scored the goal. It's actually got names. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was really beautiful to see. And I yeah. was I was pleased with that game because Spurs took a, a took a strong team there. And um, I, I really loved that game. I think that was the biggest gap, um, the the biggest gulf in positions 
league league positions between two well, to teams. Put that into, to put that into context, in FA Cup history. That, to put that into context, the team I was playing for in in the summer, the the, the semi pro team Parkview. Yeah, we were one division below Marine. All right, wow. now. I'm not a bad player at all. I feel like I can do good things. I can join in with training with the academy players. I can more than hold my own. But there was nothing that signified for me the golfing quality and to think I could have been in that game. Yeah. And that is, the, that, is, that is what confirmed to me that this will be the... Put it this way. If Spurs had not won that game, it would have been the biggest disgrace. And I don't mean this disrespectfully to Marine. Of course not. They're obviously very good players. But had they not won that game, it would have been the biggest disgrace to professional football that yeah. I could ever remember. I mean, but this is that was, this is why yeah. I was I was pleased with their approach because it was it was like a training exercise. They did, you know, they barely left their half. I know they got their shot. They surprised everyone with a shot yeah. against the bar after after twenty minutes or whatever it was. Joe Hart got his angles wrong, yeah. but um, and that would have been the shock of all time, you know, Marine taking the lead, but. Yeah. Um, I was pleased that they went with a strong side, but I was also yeah. pleased that some young players got their chance. Yes. So Alfie Devine getting minutes. I think Harvey White played the whole game. Yeah, he started, yeah. Um, yeah. Which, was, which was brilliant. And he's another player I wanted to talk about. Uh, yeah. and, and your point is correct. So uh, players being ready is a very sort of fluid and individual thing. So you see players um, go through the academy system. They're fantastic at 15, 16, and then in the under 18s. And part of it is mindset. Part of it is, you know, I'm an academy player and I'm very good. So when you get to the under 18s, these are guys who've always been the best at what they do in that smaller uh, field, if you like. So, you know, best at school, then Mm -hmm. best in the county, then selected by an academy, then kept on by an academy, then retained again by an academy. Then you get your scholarship at the academy. So, you know, you're ticking all of the boxes and going through and going through and going through. The last stage then is that that maturity and that consistency and almost like pushing the chest out and knowing, not just thinking and believing and kind of knowing, but absolutely knowing without a doubt when you wake up in the morning, I'm a top player. Um, yes. And that's the thing that gets a player from fantastic under 18s very good under 23s to consistently play in uh first team football so well, there's we been you know billy, this, yeah. billy gilmore's a great example so yeah. you know there's more athletic guys when he made his debut you look at him and you think wow he looks like he's still playing for the 16s um yeah, yeah. when he was making his debut last season now physically uh there will be more um advanced players in him in his age group and in the groups that he played with so he's not the yeah. greatest athlete in the world um but it's the maturity of how he plays it's he's found if you like for his position he's found the cheat codes he's found what works and what doesn't he's he's comfortable in his own skin which then allows you to be efficient and an effective uh effective part of the team which is which is can be a big struggle it sounds like a small thing that could be a big struggle for young players is the transition from being a really good player who let's say you play midfield and you're a very talented under 18 player you're used to picking up the ball in positions doing pretty much whatever the hell you want with it and sometimes it goes well and sometimes it doesn't and you're still going to play next week and the times when it doesn't go well you're not punished uh, because you're allowed to flourish and you're still allowed to develop and you're not punished by being out of the team, not as much anyway, and you're certainly not punished on the on the day because the team that nicks it off you, for example, might not go away and score that goal. 
um, and so on and so on. And then all of a sudden you're thrust into the first team environment. And now, A, you don't get to pick up the ball wherever you want. Everything's faster. Everything's quicker. You can take less touches of the ball. And B, when you do get it, um, it pretty much has to go right almost every time. Because if you lose possession in a dangerous area, if you make the wrong choice, you either kill an attack, kill a move, lose momentum, um, lose an opportunity, or if you dilly-dally, your decision-making is off, whatever it might be, um, you're not quite at the races. You just haven't quite, you you can't live at that pace. It doesn't matter what the yeah. level is. It could be League One, could be Premier League, could be Championship. It doesn't matter. If you can't live at that pace, doing the basics and making decisions, you'll get exposed quickly and then it will cost. It will cost immediately. Um, yeah. And you see that all the time. It's, it's often not... Players don't fail because of technical deficiencies. Um, most of the players you see, and you think, oh, how didn't he make it? it? It's not because of a lack of technique. It's just they can't live at that particular pace. They can't make the decisions they used to make at 18s and 23s yep. at, at the slightly faster pace and higher intensity of first-team football. And that's, that's one of the major differences. Yeah, I mean, that's what we're going to speak about next, but obviously you've already got into it brilliantly about why some players are ready before others and why some players are never ready. Um, and it's not always a talent thing. And you know, we said in the summer, actually, you know, um, when we were training some of our boys um, at academies and it's very interesting. And you made, you made a great point when we were discussing in the summer. Um, I remember it well, saying that you can just tell the vibe and the aura just slightly changes when, let's say we have the talented academy players and, you know, they're in their academies and they're, they're, they're kind of in a very risk-free environment um, and they're doing well, but then you get the one of them goes and gets exposed to first-team football, whether it's with training, in the dressing room, even making an appearance in the in the first team in a pre-season or whatever it might be. And they come back and there's just a, there's a slightly, they don't even realise, but there's just a slightly, there's a slight adjustment in mindset, isn't it? It's, as you said earlier, yeah. a really good point saying they're comfortable within their own skin. They've got a very confident aura about them. It's But in a very yeah. humble way, there's still, there's that drive there, there's that killer instinct to them that, They've got something, you know, you would never assume it. If you just spoke to them, you just assume they're very normal people, very well measured, very nice. And they all are all those things, but they have a killer instinct underneath all of that, underneath the surface that people don't see. And you wouldn't see if you weren't involved in that world. Um, And it's just a slight shift in mentality that living in that world and getting exposure to that environment forces from you because academy football is a very safe environment you're it's not that you're encouraged to make mistakes but it's acceptable i mean when we watch games we can see an under 18 team and we have seen it under 18 team go five nil down within 30 minutes i mean yeah unacceptable that's not that's that's not allowed on a first team and that's really poor from the academies by the way i'm not making excuses for the academies that's very poor that's not allowed you could be on a men's first team pitch but it's that immaturity that you see and as you said that lack of um understanding in terms of the realism of First team football, and you know, there's actually a good point. Um, there's a there's a piece of play actually from one of the Aston Villa youngsters that came on, Louis Barry, last week. He done a, a lovely bit of skill in his own box, the roulette, and it worked. And it's fair play to him. And when that does happen and it does work, you've got to say, well done. But he's done that because he's so used to academy football. You see those kind yeah. of things all the time at academy yeah. football, and those kind of things. There's a reason they're not encouraged, and I've got to be very careful what I say here because you don't want to dampen creativity. But it's got to be a very fine line between creativity and immaturity. 
and those kind of things you don't see on a men's first team pitch or maybe once in a blue moon you know roulettes in your own box you don't see that for a reason yet you see that all the time those kind of things with academy yeah, football because that's where academies are going to do better in terms of preparation if we think about uh from a fitness point of view you know everyone everyone's used to the to the um to the idea that uh, you can get so fit by training, but you can't get match fit without matches, yeah. right? So we're all we're all comfortable with that idea. We all understand what's meant by that. Similar sort of thing. So you can get so good playing 18s and 23s. Yes, you can, of course. But you can try and replicate it meaning something. You can try and replicate how much it matters, but it doesn't. It will never matter as much as a first team game, even a first team minute. It's, it's a different aura. There's a different sense of, like, it's important now. You, you can't, you know, mess about. You can't do things wrong. You can't, you can't try things off the cuff. You must deliver. And that yeah. goes for, like, every position on the field. So, you know, your skill set will be uh, stress tested uh, to the in extreme. Yeah. So, and, and in those moments, it's either, it's either sink or swim. So Tanganga made his debut last season for Tottenham and, uh, you know, he came in and, and he came into some difficult fixtures as well. Yeah, and, his debut was versus uh, Liverpool or his first Premier League game was versus Liverpool. So there you go. Really difficult fixture. And he equipped himself, he equipped himself so really, really well. Yeah. Um, fantastic. So from that moment on, you think, okay, it's, it's impossible to predict at what level, but you say, right, that's a pro career. Now that's yeah. a pro career. We can yeah. shut our eyes. We can go back when he's 24 years old. He'll still be playing at what what level? We don't know, of course, right? Could be playing in the Champions League. He could be playing in a championship. He could be playing for Tottenham still. We don't know. Um, but he's a professional footballer because he passed that test. It's not a technical yeah. test. It's a test of can you perform your roles and responsibilities under pressure and all of the time? So I think one of the things we say to young players, or I'm, I'm fond of saying it, is there's a saying from um, the All Blacks uh, rugby team, which I really like. And obviously that's one of the greatest, uh, well, forever. They've always been one of the most winningest teams in sport, they say. So All Blacks uh, rugby team, uh, one of the things that they build their success on is be world-class at the basics. Yeah. So just to be world-class at the basics. So you get some phenomenally talented, especially young players, where they've got that creativity, they've got that verve, they do something different, they see the game a little bit differently, they've got the energy to go out there and try things. But what's going to make a player who's going to make 200 appearances or X amount of appearances at the top level or play for his country, for example? Most of it is to be built on that, be world-class at the basics. Yeah. Um, if you can do that and then sprinkle on top your special uh, super skills or super strengths or, or um, the, you know, your own um, individuality, if that might be the case, then even better. But that should be the foundation that, that young players are looking at or looking for. 100%. And people are aware of what we do. They do know we train academy and pro footballers. Um, and I think people would be quite interested to hear how we help develop um, players, you know, in terms of preparing them for first team and having a career in the game. Because obviously we're not at the clubs in terms of we don't work for clubs, we work outside of clubs. Um, and obviously we work with clubs. But I think people will be very interested in terms of how we help prepare players and our players for first team football in terms of either coaching, 
or advice. And I guess every situation is different, isn't it? But it is yeah. very difficult to do on the outside. Um, and obviously, you know, the, the player has to take ownership of, of what he does as well. It's not just, you can't just rely on the coaches and stuff like that. But I guess every situation is different, but people would be interested to hear about how we coach players and what we say to them. And, and that is probably, that is well certainly a, a fantastic piece of advice that you've just explained there. It's, and I like that saying as well that you've obviously you know alluded to from the All Blacks. It's be world class at the basics, do the right thing. Can you be trusted on a men's first team yeah. football pitch? Are you trusted? And it's got to be a very very fine balance between understanding. I said it earlier. You know, people on the outside, fans can say, oh, "Well, why are you having a go at him?" You know, because you know, if you want to see the creative brilliance, then you've got to appreciate the mistakes, and you've got to appreciate that I'll sometimes get it wrong. And I suppose this is more for forward players or even defenders playing out from the back. And yes, whilst that is true, but as I said, it's a very fine line between creativity and immaturity. And too often players fall over the line of immaturity. And it's our job, I guess, as coaches and mentors to help them understand what belongs on a first-team football pitch and what the difference is between showing your personality. Of course, always play with your personality but understanding what belongs on a first-team football pitch. Well, you, yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head there, mate. It's a very individual thing. So it's player by player. Some players are mature. Some players are 16 going on 24 yeah. um, in the way that they are. And that's, you know, th- th- that could be for a number of reasons. So we know that through all walks of life. We know, you know, we've, you've got friends who are, who are um, still childlike at 25 and, and um, you know, comp- you wonder how they don't go through life falling down more often. And yeah, then you've got yeah. other, you know, you've got other people in your life who are 18 and they're together and they're, they're mature and they, they know exactly what the score is. And you think, wow, okay. Um, and that's, you know, all shapes and sizes. But so that's a, that's a personality thing. And then what we're talking about is, is a player, a very skilled athlete being ready to perform at the top level. And that, that comes into it, that recognition, that self-awareness to understand that being the most talented isn't enough, doesn't matter. Um, it's not about that. It's do you fulfill the role in the best way? And that's, that's yeah. all that matters. And then can you, can you um, chisel away or can you hone your skills? So you've got, this, you've got this talent, you've got this ability to do X, Y, Z. Okay, can you mold that into the correct shape that helps the team? Um, yeah. so, and know, it's like I said earlier, you, know, you've got to, you have to show your personality as a player because it's your personality that got you to the where you were at so far. And, you know, you can't go on a football pitch, even a men's first team, and pretend to be someone else. That doesn't work. You've got to be yourself. But yeah. what you, this but is where that becomes... personality has to work and it has to fit on a men's first team football pitch. It has to. Otherwise, you're just another talented player that could do amazing things. And then in 10 years time, you moan about why well, you never got the opportunities because you could yeah. do everything with the football. But actually, the reason you didn't play to that level is because you couldn't maintain it on a men's first team pitch and you couldn't, you couldn't, yeah, you couldn't perform, you couldn't show your personality in a way that belongs at a higher level. Um, and that's the cutthroat nature of it. Well, I think this is where it becomes, it, it's not just technical, you know, coaching's coaching. So, you, you know, you, you can coach a player as long as he has the capacity or he or she has the capacity to learn and to be coached and to develop. And, you know, um, you, you, can, you can coach players to do fantastically technical things. Yeah. Um, to improve and improve and improve. If the desire is there to improve, then players can keep improving. And if they've got the capacity, of course, not everyone's ceiling is the same. Um, 
but it, it's the mixture of that and then you know the technical development the ability to have the actual skill set to carry things out you know let let's say for example they've got the physical um attributes required let's say that's that's there because by the time you reach 18s and 23s that's pretty much a given uh players without those uh physical attributes are required to become a top athlete they've gone they've generally yeah. gone um yeah. fallen by the wayside so you've got the physical attributes and you've more or less got the skill set that you you're going to need um the, the last thing is is more mentoring um and helping a player's realization of how they best utilize that skill set um yeah. so in what way can you uh you know, carry your skills around with you into the team on a Saturday and bring out those abilities that serves the whole, that serves the group. And that's a yeah. tricky one for young players to understand. Um, some players learn that quickly. Some players learn that at a slower pace. Obviously, there's a fine line. You can't, you can't um, ask players to lose their personality or lose what made them great in the first place. That's the tricky balance of it. Um, mm-hmm. But it is also trying to get players to understand um, it, it's you know it's it's the arena for them to show what they've got. Um, um, but also these uh, young players, for example. So you've all just played against Liverpool. So it shows, say, if we're just talking skill set with the ball at that level, yes. Okay. Can you uh, hone your skills over the next two years? years three years and um and self uh self-image in my opinion agree completely but while it is of course it's on the player and they have to take charge of their own career it does i mean we do both pull we, we both pull our hair out so often when you know we see how a lot of academies and a lot of coaches work and the approach they take and how you know we've, we've spoken about this whole i mean we are coaches that you know obviously we work with individuals um but we keep talking about how it's got to be a very individualistic approach. And I think that there's a big issue with academies um, at the moment in this country that the approach isn't individualistic enough. So you see that these academies put things in place. Now they've got to play a certain way. Um, and no matter what, almost like a whether it's an ego thing or whether it's perceived to be good football or whatever it might be, but you just see these certain players, they're not being catered for as individuals. And we can always tell, can't we, the vast majority of players, good and bad, that let's say we work them for the first time at 16 or 17. Um, and this is where academies and clubs can get it wrong. Let's say we, I would say the most, or certainly a lot of 15 and 16-year-old academy players that come to us, they're so often, they're very, very similar in style in terms of, and you can always tell the ones yeah. that have been yeah. in the environment since the age of nine or even before that. And it's usually yeah. those players that are very robotic They've been told what to do, when to do it. Very disciplined, all good, but they're really lacking in personality. Whereas yeah. when you work with players that perhaps went in at a later age that are more personable and have more personality, for me, that's easier to then 
mould that into what then could be more of a professional player. Of course, every situation is different, but I do think that in this country in particular, well, obviously, you know, I, we have had experience of other countries, but I'm only speaking from this country's point of view. Academy football does get a lot wrong with that regards. I don't think it's individualistic enough in terms of improving the individuals. Um, but I don't know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, mate, I could do a whole podcast or, or a rant, I would call it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> just on uh, just on what I think um, academies should introduce. I mean, especially the bigger ones that have the budget for it and actually have the staff there for this very purpose yeah. um, in order to uh, provide more individual training. So, you know, I, we were working with a player earlier this season um, who's at a very good club as a centre-back. And, um, and, you know, he was bemoaning the fact that the only individual work he gets to do as a centre-back in his position um, is outside of the club. Um, yeah. Otherwise, he's going to spend every training session doing uh, generic uh, possession work, uh, generic drills that the whole team does, being physically prepared, which is obviously important, doing his gym work, a little bit of shape work, and then uh, two matches a week. Um, yeah. Okay, so then when does he in- improve his skill set of his position? I mean, I'd like to see, you know, especially from the big clubs, obviously some clubs don't have that budget and, you know, we're living in a fantasy world if we think it can work for everybody. But big clubs with big budgets, I would like to see them go to, not a completely, but they could be borrowing things from the NFL uh, approach where you've got special teams and special units for, for, for different types of players. I know some clubs do it. I know some clubs work individually with their wingers with the defenders doing bits here and there, but it's not enough. And it's not enough at the younger age groups, 16s, 18s, where they're going to be making the next transition into being um, professional footballers. Well, you say not. all the time, don't you, that all the best coaches should be at the age groups of under 12s when you're really, really developing the personality yeah, of a player. This is, mate, this is another issue. I think... Um, you know, one of the one of the one of the issues is um, the kudos is coaching 16s, 18s, and 23s because you can climb the ladder, and then a lot of coaches have their eye on maybe a first team job or assistant manager job, and that's fine. You can go up the levels that way, and I don't disagree with that. That's fine, but I think you know it makes absolutely no sense. Your genius football coaches, your absolute best football coaches, should be coaching the under 12s because if they're not doing that then the next guy is putting out fires anyway. Yeah. So the, the next guy in the 14s or whatever it might be, he's putting out the fires that weren't put out in the under-12s. So I think that should be how it is. They should spend time doing that before they move on to other age groups. But unfortunately, we see, you know, everyone scrambles to get the positions that... There's a the reason when group. clubs... Yeah, because yeah. They're, close when to, clubs... they're closer to first-team jobs that way. Well, yeah, but also there's a reason when clubs message us saying that we want these kind of players, almost every single club, they tell us we want under 16s, don't they? And then if we're being completely honest, the reason for that is because under 16 is the first year that they give money to players, obviously sign them to a scholarship well, contract. And now that... they have to give money and they realise, actually, we haven't been doing a good enough job with the players we have at our disposal. So we have to look for a whole bunch of new ones at this age. And it's it's it's, it's more than a coincidence that every year, those are the those are the age groups that we get more than most that clubs are looking for. I think the the academies have got a difficult job in one sense, in in the sense of it's hard to coordinate that. But at the same time, um, when you're hearing of you know major Premier League clubs uh, buying in uh, players age 16, 17 from abroad, um, 
you do think to yourself, look, could you not have solved this problem yourself? Um, especially London clubs, where you've got a huge catchment yeah. area yeah. of top talent. The talent in London is scary. Yeah, the available uh, pool of talent for clubs to to pick from in London is frightening. No London club, no, especially none of the Premier League London clubs should be looking abroad for academy players. If they are, that's a failure from within. Yep. No, I agree completely. Agree completely. And you know what? It's there are tons. Listen, we work with lots of fantastic people in football. We don't want this to be a, a you know, I just slamming academies. Of course not. There are some fantastic clubs and some fantastic setups. I told you I'd start ranting, mate. <laughs> yeah, well, no, 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 because you know we do live with this every day, and it is a massive frustration for the pair of us. But there are some fantastic people. But what I would say is, just generally speaking, the level of coaching and ideas at these clubs, it just isn't good enough. And I'm going to say one story. I'm not going to obviously label names um, or clubs. Of course, I'm not going to do that. We have to keep relationships with. Uh, these people but it was a story you told me a while ago about a player that you had basically built from scratch as a one-to-one coach from the age of seven or so and he goes and joins a fantastic academy um, and the academy want to try and keep him at the club and this is about under 14s they want to keep him happy so they offer one-to-one coaching and this is a story you yeah. told me um, they offer one-to-one coaching and the dad is like oh, we have our guys on the outside thank you but no thanks and the club like no 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 we want to do it for you you know give it a go and the dad is like okay well I'll give it a go and um, anyway, he's doing the drill with the player and you from the age of six have drilled the pl- have drilled into the player from the age of six, you know, check your shoulders, get your eyes up, check your shoulders. Before the ball comes, check your shoulders, play with your head up. You know, good habits that have to be drilled in from a young age because it's very hard to drill good habits like that in at 15 or so. So you've drilled him in from a good age. So he's doing it naturally. Um, I think he's, I think you remember saying he's playing off of a mannequin. So he's receiving, then peeling off, then finishing after receiving another ball or something like that. Anyway. The ball's come in, he's checking his shoulders, peeled off, done what the coach has said. The first set of the drill is done and the coach has asked him, at a big, big club, under 14s, and the coach has asked him, why are you checking your shoulders? Nobody's there. I mean, if that just doesn't sum up how at just too many of these places, the standard just isn't good enough, then I don't know what it will. Well, I think that's just a small example, but there's lots like that where, yeah, yeah, I do do believe... um, some of the academies have got something to be left to be desired, mate. But like, I think that the main the main bugbear for me is is that um, they're not helping players transition well enough at the at the really crucial ages. You've got players yep. up to the ages of sixteens and eighteens, which is you know they can then it's now really important. You can smell the first team pitch. Are you going to make it? Are you not? This is a huge cutoff. Really important times. I just think there should be more individual emphasis on players and their development. Um, in order to help them fulfill their potential, and sometimes that's not happening. At some clubs, it is, and we see you can see the clubs that have a consistent flow of players coming into the first team. Um, but unfortunately, especially for the for the bigger clubs, I don't think it's happening so much. But hopefully, that will start to happen. Especially now, this might be the actual one good thing <laughs> that comes out of uh, Brexit. Well, I was going to so, say to re- well, you've alluded to it already. Um, to wrap up the podcast. I think people would be very interested to hear about how this crazy season already with coronavirus and everything and how bricks on top of it will actually affect young players getting a chance. And you know what? I think you will maybe see players blooded into first team football earlier on, even if, especially with coronavirus and the lack of fitness and stuff, and obviously anything that gets struck down this year, more so than ever, you are going to see players get onto a first team football pitch, even if it was before the club had planned or even if they, you know, the club had thought they're not quite ready yet. But Brexit in particular 
it is going to lead to a lot of interesting things, isn't it? I mean, we've already seen today, yeah. Huddersfield Town, I believe, have signed a player from Boreham Woods. Those right. kind of moves are going to happen all the time. So, you know, we've we've already spoken to clubs and they're now giving us the message saying, listen, we can't sign players from abroad. It's too yep. difficult at certain ages. So we are looking for young players that have had first-team exposure, even non-league, well, especially non-league, obviously, a lot of the time. You know, if they've had first-team exposure in, you know, Championship and Premier League, they're already at contracts probably. But in terms of ready, readily available players, they want players that have had first-team exposure from a young age that are UK-based. And you're going to see a lot yeah. more of these players given a chance because of Brexit, aren't you? Yeah, definitely, mate. I mean, in, in a normal season, the, uh, you know, clubs, a top academy, uh, let's say Chelsea, for example, um, would be uh, taking their under-14s and 15s and 16s and all the age groups on tours all around Europe. So in the yeah. course of the season, they've got their regular fixtures they play at home. They've got their tournaments and their cups and they play in uh, mini festivals. And then they'll also go abroad to go on tours. Now, these tours have a few um, few different functions. One is to uh, expose the players to different styles, different systems, different teams, which I think is brilliant. I think it's fantastic. And obviously, we've been on quite a few tours with, with the academy that we run in North London. Um, and it's brilliant for the players to be exposed to great teams. So mm. we're fortunate enough to play against some some of Europe's best doing that. Um, and then the Come second on, drop the name, drop the name, drop the no. name. <laughs> no, we've played some good Bayern teams. Munich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, I think uh, uh, one of the other functions, especially for the bigger teams, is this is this is a way for them to scout, uh, or was traditionally a way for them to scout um, some of Europe's top talent. So yeah. you go in a tournament. You know, there's going to be some great teams there. I think we were in a tournament a couple of years back with. Uh, FC Porto and uh, oh, Bayer Leverkusen and yeah yeah you remember <laughs> yeah some fantastic players um, from all around Europe and obviously we've helped organise uh, Palmeiras from Brazil to come to England three times to compete in um, Premier League tournaments these are coaching uh, sorry these are scouting missions for um, some Premier League clubs that's how they use that it's on the one hand used to develop their own players of course but if they see a fantastic player from Anderlecht for example um, it's easy then to sidle over to the dad and have a quick conversation with him. Um, and this was happening and has been happening for a long time. And a yeah. lot of clubs have fallen foul of, of that actually breaking some rules. So I think what you're going to see now is that I don't think the tours will happen less and less because I still think they're really valuable in terms of exposing players to different systems and styles yeah, and, yeah. and different football. But they can't use those tours now as shopping trips. They can't use those tours to keep an eye on the best um, under 15 or try and sign the best under 16 at a European club because that's mm. going to be much more difficult to do. Hopefully, the knock-on effect of that, and I really, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that it will be the knock-on effect, is that clubs have to think a bit more creatively and go, well, you know what? Um, there's plenty of good players in England and rather than picking up a, uh, a centre-back from Croatia, why don't I just develop what I've already got? Yeah. Um, and maybe they'll, they'll put a bit more emphasis into into the actual coaching that they do rather than um, shopping around. So I think that that can only benefit uh, UK players. And you, you mentioned it yourself there, already an opportunity for um, Huddersfield looking at players in, in different ways, uh, looking to shop in different markets, let's say. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of non, non-league players now that are really licking their lips and there's going to be a lot of players that are now actually looking to get first team football early because they're going to realise that these clubs are looking to, if they are going to sign players and they're not going to develop their own and they do desperately need to recruit because of course clubs will have to recruit at different ages, you know. There's never ever going to be a club that's happy with every position they've got 
um, from under-16s up until first team. Um, of course, they're going to look to recruit. And I don't want to be too harsh on the clubs. They do have a very difficult job. Um, but as you've said, they're now going to have to recruit. You, generally speaking, I mean, I know the rules say that you can still sign players over 18 from abroad, but it's still very difficult to do. Put a lot of clubs off, be, mate. Even the whole, yeah, the, there's the going to need to be a special talent visa, potentially. And, and the lack of knowledge be, around it, it's, it's going to be a while before clubs exactly. figure out Exactly. So, you know, okay, what the so when they recruit, on. where are they going to recruit from? Okay, well, they're probably going to recruit if you can have a 17-year-old that's a talent that has also exposed himself to a men's pitch and first-team football and has that experience under his belt, that's a very attractive proposition. So actually, I think the non-league clubs are going to really benefit in terms of the talent that's now going to be pushing towards getting into those clubs, um, yeah. which will raise a level across the country in terms of football um, from you know from UK-based talent. Um, well, in so terms see of a lot of those. And in, and in terms generally, just just on an, on another point, I was mentioning to a player yesterday. I actually believe this is one of the best periods um, for for the actual talent pool. This is one of the best periods I've seen for a long time. I think I think yeah. the level now, when I compare it to uh, fifteen years ago, of uh, young players, young exciting players, sixteen, seventeen years old, is miles better than it was previously. Oh, it's outrageous. I mean, even um, even in the summer when we put on like a group session for some boys, it was legally allowed to. COVID allowed us to do it. But when we put on like a small group session for some of the boys, um, I mean, the level of talent there was just, it was absurd, wasn't it? From players from different clubs and even slightly different ages. I mean, it yeah. was absolutely insane. Wasn't and the, it? the main difference, the main difference from when, you know, if I go back all those years is uh, technical ability. So yeah. the technical improvement of the, of you know, of players, now pushing through age 15, 16, 17 at, at Premier League and, and Championship clubs, for example, is very, very high now. So if you we could have gone back 15 years and English youth talent would not have been the envy of Europe. Um, yeah. I, think, I think it is now. Yeah, because we're still going to have that intensity in terms of physicality and obviously that the English League will always have, um, which is attractive everywhere. Or well, it is attractive, of course, if you can play at intense levels and speed and physicality. So. It's a big, big positive. But as you just said, they now have the technical ability to match. So, you know, of course, yeah. you know, leagues like Germany, where it's a similar style, but just slower, they're going to lap up the um, UK-based talent because they know how to play that style of football. They are playing with real intensity that the Germans will love. And now they have the technical ability to match. And that's why you're seeing a lot of yeah. UK-based talent move abroad and get early opportunities. Um, yeah, there's and, and there's also been and some there's been some success stories. We spoke about it in a previous podcast about you know Sancho. You need you need a front runner. You need someone to go there and have success. Um, success breeds breeds more success. So yeah. you know the, the reason you have now Jude Bellingham and other young players joining Dortmund from um, from English clubs and English academies is uh, Jaden Sancho and the success that he had. And you know to a certain degree, Reese Nelson going over there and having success. Um, you know, and now those stories are becoming more and more and more. And because of the technical ability of young British players coming through, those stories will hopefully continue. I really believe um, the the technical level and the the ability of of young players breaking through in this country now is uh, certainly up there uh, with the top level, the top level of Europe. Um, obviously, there's some remarkable stuff going on in the traditional big hitters like like Holland. They're always going to produce top top players, but this is the best that I've seen coming through in England for a long, long time. Agree. And we're very lucky to be working with a lot of them. Um, <laughs> to wrap up this podcast, I would like to say that despite the positives we've just spoken about, 
I still don't want Brexit to have happened. Um, I'd just like to put that out there. I still don't like Brexit. <laughs> but, you know, you do have to look for the silver, you know, um, silver linings in every cloud or whatever the saying is. And, and this could be one for the UK-based players. Um, Rich, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I think it's, it's obviously very prevalent to me and you and what we do for a living. Um, and it's actually quite frustrating because I feel like we could really go on for hours talking about this. I mean... We well, yeah, I mean, I, I wrote down a list long, before we? this. I, I wrote down a list before this. Just, just uh, we were going to talk about some of these guys, like some of the top young players that have that have done remarkably well so far this season. And it's just, you know, the list just goes on and on. But um, well, if the people are who, interested, we can always do that for another episode. Uh, yeah, of you, course, of course. You know, but I'm pathway just pathway to your football part two. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it's been great, mate, and um, uh, made some really good points. And I, I do believe that. Um, uh, that you know, we will see, we will see some more uh, young players getting a chance for, for yes. various reasons. It's been interesting to see the young players at Villa get their chance against Liverpool. Obviously, Liverpool have had three or four in there because of their injury crisis and COVID yeah. and a mixture of different things. Alfie Devine, Dane Scarlett, Harvey White getting getting appearances at Tottenham. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be an exciting time for young players in this country, mate. Agree completely. All that's left for me to do is say thanks to Richard. Thanks, mate. Enjoyed it. Yep, indeed. Thanks to you guys, the listeners. Stay safe. We'll see you soon.